You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. It is Tuesday, January 17th, talking Reds baseball today, as always, with Mark Sheldon, our Reds reporter. Mark, we thank you for the time, and uh, not a lot uh, in the way of actual news <laughs> right now. It is the middle of January, after all, but you did have a, a great article recently on uh, John Moscott, uh, his recent trip to Israel. Moscott, of course, is uh, Jewish, and he wanted to play for Team Israel in the upcoming uh, World Baseball Classic. That's not going to happen. He is still on the recovery timetable from Tommy John's surgery, which wiped out a big portion of his uh, 2016 season. But putting that aside for now, uh, just kind of talk about the experiences that he shared with you in going over to Israel. And one thing that kind of struck me and stood out to me was that uh, he really spoke at length about the enthusiasm that uh, – you know, kids in Israel are showing for the game of baseball, and it's it seems like it's something that's really growing over there. Yeah, he really did kind of describe it as a transformative type of journey. He had been there once as an eight-year-old with his father, but that was right after his grandmother died and had to do the funeral, so he didn't do much sightseeing. This was kind of his first real immersion, even though it was a six-day trip. He got to see Israel, and he got to see old Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. Uh, he went to, he climbed uh, Masada in the mountain kind of went to the Dead Sea, rode a camel, ate in a Bedouin tent. So he really, really did get the full Israeli experience and, and really enjoyed himself. But, of course, the trip was also about uh, connecting Team Israel with its with the country that really doesn't know much about baseball. The biggest baseball fans are uh, American expatriates that mostly come from the New York area. So there are you know, some uh, Yankees and Mets fans for the most part, and, and their kids are the other, also baseball fans, but there's, you know, the kids that are native in Israel are, are kind of seeing baseball presented to them in the first time. And, and between the, 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 the expats and the, and the locals, they definitely have, uh, you know, got some baseball fever. They, they uh, ground, did a groundbreaking on their first legitimate baseball complex. Uh, players, you know, did some BP and, and, and really, uh, you know, they saw a lot of enthusiasm. The kids were jumping all over them for autographs, not just of, you know, papers and pictures, but trying to get hats signed and, and just really, really just sort of, you know, the, the connection was made. So when, when Team Israel goes off to play in its bracket, I think where they start in Seoul uh, in March, they, um, they may have some more fans than they did when they started. You know, these 10 players went over got to really see who they're representing and the people that, that are living there are seeing who's playing for them. And I think overall it was a good experience. Moscow really enjoyed it. And he just could not say enough about how awesome Israel was. And he also ate enough falafel to last him a year. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet he did it. Who can blame him? So it sounds like, you know, the, the kids over there are, are really, you know, taking to what for many of them is, is a, a new sport, a new experience. And uh, you never know if team Israel can, can hold their own in the World Baseball Classic. The competition's going to be outstanding, obviously, but if they can, you know, again, be competitive and get a couple of wins, you, you may see an explosion of uh, the popularity of baseball, you know, in that country as kids get uh, more familiar with what's going on in the game itself and, and the guys in the major leagues that are of a, a Jewish heritage. And uh, it could be something really big. So it's great to see that uh, John Moscott had this experience over there interacting uh, with these kids, and it sounds like a, a great trip overall. And, uh, Mark, in terms of his uh, on-field exploits, I know he's been 
something of a forgotten man uh, given his uh, struggles and his injuries in 2016 and, uh, you know, the guys that were shuffled in and out of that rotation pretty much all season long. But let's assume he makes a full recovery from uh, Tommy John surgery. Uh, he is back 100% healthy. What kind of a ceiling do you see for John Mosca and what kind of a role could he play uh, potentially for this Reds team somewhere down the road? It's really hard to say. He, he really has to kind of get himself back on the map. Uh, not only is he injured and coming back, he just began a throwing program actually uh, yesterday, Monday. And, uh, you know, he's not on the 40-man roster anymore, and he's going to have to battle his way back, as he put it. He's got to get himself back on the map. Realistically, he's probably more likely to get back into into games and maybe in the, if he can reach the big leagues in 2018, he's hoping that uh, he can get to the back end of his rehab and maybe get into some minor league games by the end of this coming season. So we'll see what happens. But I think, first of all, he's just got to prove himself that he can pitch, and then he's got to get to the big leagues. He really doesn't have as an established uh, a big league track record. He got three starts in 2015 before he separated his left shoulder and was out for the year. Then he, he got injured during spring training, was able to make five starts, uh, got beat up pretty badly in a, in a couple of them uh, really badly and got sent down and blew out his elbow. So uh, he needs to one, get healthy two show that he's the kind of stuff that he had when he was on his way up. He was really considered a, a guy that was going to go places and be part of the rotation. They were counting on him being in the rotation going into last season. So then after that, we'll see, obviously a lot of uh, young pitchers are coming and baseball stops for nobody. And if he can, uh, you know, reclaim himself and maybe get a chance to crack the rotation in 2018, perhaps, or maybe a bullpen guy. We'll see. Yeah, uh, and the hope here is that the worst of it is behind him. And, uh, you know, the injuries, the issues, everything that goes with that, he can get back to full health. And being the pitcher that, like, uh, you know, you alluded to, he was a guy that uh, a lot of people thought was going to do some damage and really make an impact, and hopefully he can still be that guy. Obviously, uh, it's going to take some time, and hopefully some good luck is on his side for a change, obviously. Uh, Mark, uh, to remain in the rotation discussion, I know that we've talked in the past couple of weeks about the club's desire to add a real veteran presence uh, in that starting rotation. A lot of talent there, but also a lot of youth. So any progress on that front so far? No, there really hasn't. The last time I talked to Dick Williams, uh, he said that they were still engaging with clubs and still talking to free agents and stuff, but there really hadn't been a whole lot of movement. Uh, there's been also no action on the Brandon Phillips, Zach Cozart front, incidentally. But uh, as far as the starting pitching goes, I think it's something they want. But you, you look at the the names on the list, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of veteran, older free agents. You know, in the past, the Reds have used that time. Like, they've waited until even spring training starting to get somebody on a minor league deal. They did it uh, with Brett Tomko a couple years ago, which did not work out. They did it last year with Alfredo Simon on a big league contract in the middle of March. Of course, that did not work out. Uh, and then they did a waiver claim on Stan, on Dave Straley late in, uh, in, in the camp, actually after spring training was over, and that did work out. So uh, just because they haven't got one now, or even if they don't get one when camp opens, doesn't mean they won't. I just think it's one of those things when the musical chair, when the music stops and guys are looking for a chair, eventually you know the jobs will be handed out and a guy will compete. And hopefully for the Reds, they want to get it at a low salary. Obviously, the player hopefully can get a, a better salary and have an opportunity to make the team, but it'll probably be a minor league deal, and we'll see what happens. And uh, on the topic of salaries, uh, Mark, a good transition here. The Reds avoiding arbitration with uh, all four of their eligible players uh, late last week. They include uh, Zach Cozart, Billy Hamilton, Blake Wood, and uh, Tony Singrani. And, Mark, how much, you know, for people not terribly familiar with the, the arbitration process, how much importance do teams place on this process to get these cases settled as soon as possible 
and to av- and to do everything in their power to avoid a player going to an actual arbitration hearing. Well, when the hearings happen, it often does create some bad blood, no matter who wins the case, because the you know the team will pre- you know, lawyer will present a case that does not necessarily reflect greatly on the player's uh, attributes, and and you know, the player may not feel too good about that. So that does kind of cause some friction. Uh, the Reds have been pretty fortunate over the years. They have avoided trials for the most part. They had their first one last year with uh, J.J. Hoover, which they lost. Uh, they, before that, they hadn't gone to one since 2004. Uh, the reason why with Hoover and, and what kind of sit, the situation that caused uh, these signings to happen as quickly as they did is the Reds kind of went to a, a file and trial uh, plan that if you know, once the numbers were exchanged, they were not going to negotiate anymore and they were just going to go straight to a trial. I think for the Reds, that kind of helps speed things along a little bit. The players obviously don't want to do it. The teams don't want to do it. It kind of gives you a, a firm negotiating uh, deadline. And it, I think all, you know, they, the first deal that got done was, uh, was Hamilton, but then the other three deals got done right at the zero hour of the deadline at one o'clock on Friday. And the Reds were relieved that it was done. So that way they could move on to the other projects. Like we just said, like the, you know, the other acquisitions they want to work on and whatnot. So they have a clean slate. They don't have to worry about uh, players going to trial during early February and, they can move on. The players obviously get a huge raise. I mean, Zach Cozart is the third year eligible. He gets up to over $5 million, but the other guys were making uh, less than a million dollars last year, so they're now in a, uh, in a nice new tax bracket probably and, and doing very well. Yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. Like we said, uh, the four guys, Cozart, Hamilton, Wood, and Singrani, uh, they're happy, the team is happy, and onward we go. Uh, Mark, to begin to wrap up here, kind of the question of the week this week, uh, when you look at the uh, – kind of the entirety of the hot stove landscape. Uh, who is one guy, maybe more than one guy, that has uh, changed teams via free agency or perhaps through a trade that kind of made you go, boy, you know what, if the Reds could have gotten their hands on that guy, that would have been a, a, a perfect fit. Anybody stand out to you? There's a couple of ways I look at that. The, the regular way is the one guy I thought maybe he, he probably wasn't in their price range, and he's more of a guy maybe you would add if you're closer to winning is uh, Mark uh, Zepchinski, the ultimate uh, spell check uh, guy. <laughs> but uh, he went to the Mariners, I think, on a two-year $11 million deal, which is probably not the, the prices the Reds wanted to pay. But having a left-handed guy in the bullpen to go with along with Singrani, an established guy, I think really would have helped that bullpen a little bit, would have stabilized things a little bit more. Uh, I, I think that could have really done them some good, however – you don't want to probably outlay that kind of money when you're still at the end of a rebuilding program. Uh, and the other side of that is a trade that happened. This is a little different is when uh, not so much who the another team got, but it was, it was uh, when the, when the Mariners acquired uh, Gene Segura from Arizona in that trade, that, that eliminated the one place that maybe Zach Cozart could go. There was a talk between Seattle and Cozart during, and the Reds about Cozart during the summer. And it kind of seemed like a fit going into the winter. And then when that deal was done, that really did eliminate the one and only seemingly spot that, of a team that needed a shortstop this offseason. And that kind of had the Reds unable to move Cozart right now. As good of a player as he's been, he's coming off a big rebounding year. He's a, he's a good guy to have in the clubhouse, so they're not mad that they still have him. But it does create a, a problem when it comes to wanting to play Jose Peraza every day. So they have to uh, figure some things out. Maybe if that deal wasn't done, the Reds could have made a deal with Seattle and, and solved one of their problems that they were trying to solve this offseason. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, that would have been a great destination for Zach Cozart. Like you said, free time up for Peraza, but that ship has sailed, and we'll see uh, what Dick Williams has as a potential plan B, hopefully sometime in the near future. Great place to wrap this one up. Mark Sheldon, our Reds reporter, we thank you for the time. As always, we'll do it again 
at this time next week. In the meantime, it's Matt Waymeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Cincinnati Reds. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.